But it is Super Bowl Sunday, and historically there's been some sort of giveaway that I've done. I think we skipped with COVID. Uh, I'm not even sure we had in-person worship at that time uh, in that 2020. And last year, I really don't remember because I can barely remember last week. And what's your name again? Yeah, Aaron. Yeah. So um, to do something different today, because I know there are some who study. He's looking around. Carlson is probably the most informed person today on the two teams who are playing. He researches, looking to be the winner each year. And he's been the winner, I think, maybe three, four. How many times have you won? Three? Yeah, very good. Uh, so without him answering, do you know who's playing in the Super Bowl today? Anybody? The Bears? There's a lot of people who are sore losers, and yeah, the, the Rams and the Bengals, Bengals, yeah, Cincinnati, okay, and I don't find either one, I think there are Tigers in the Bible, but I don't know that there are, yeah, there are Rams too, so I guess they're both in the Bible. Um, who's the most important person on either one of those teams? The coach, the tight end. Come on, let's hear your opinions. Who? The kicker. The referee. So, the what? The Starbucks booth? Okay. Starbucks dude, I got you. Yeah, the concessions. And I mean, we could go down the list of, oh man, it's the quarterback because he... I guess they're all he's, right? I'm trained to say he or she, but he is the one who gets the ball, maybe call the play from the coach. Maybe the coach is the most important, now that I alluded to that. Maybe it is the kicker, because if you don't have a kickoff, the game doesn't start, right? The game starts with a kickoff. But then somebody said referee, because you've got to have somebody toss the coin, right? So all those, and my, my daughter was here. Is my daughter here? No? Oh. <laughs> Let me take a note. Anybody got a pen? Um, she would say the band because she was in the marching band. And, and some of you who are avid fans would say the fans because if it weren't for the fans paying the money, they couldn't pay those exorbitant salaries, right? Okay. C Cincinnati and the Rams. All right. Nobody really cares. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think the most important person on the team, because I'm the one who made this sermon up, or the Lord gave me the words to say, and I, and I think it will tie in, I, I hope, um, the center, the center on the team. Because unless the center touches the ball and moves the ball, nothing happens. Now, granted, I did allude to the kicker. The kicker does have to kick it off. But every play starts with the center grabbing the ball and moving the ball. So, Carlton, who is the center for the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, I know. I didn't know either. I had to print the whole roster for both teams because I was like clueless on them. Yeah. I, I, I will. Anybody? Yeah, I just how fast you're on your phone, right? Yeah. Yeah. Let me. Anybody at all? How about the Rams Center? Anybody got that one? Okay, for the purpose of the giveaway, if you can name me one center in any NFL team. Okay, 
I'll go down to my level, the centers I remember. Mike Chamnus, he was the center on our high school football team. Anybody remember the name of the center on your high school football team? Debbie? You were the center? Who was the center on your high school football team? Hanks? Was he, a, was he a Laker? I mean a Laker, yeah. Was he a Ram fan or a Cincinnati fan, you think? Mar, Mar, what color is Marshall? They don't work with either one of these colors. I would say if he was Brandeis, isn't that kind of Brandeis, Cincinnati? Yeah, here you go. And this is a throw. So watch your hands, watch your head. There you go. Oh! All right. So for the uh, L.A. Rams, Carlson, did you have one? You're going to come up. You, you had a center that you could come up with? Oh, here we go. Hey, look at those hands. Very good. All right, enough of the handouts. All right. So that's the one position, as I said, that it, everything starts off of. I mean, you, you're the key. I know. Shut out, man. Carlson's like, all that studying. And he, didn't, he didn't give me anything. Well, maybe, hang on, maybe something after the game, after the service. Yeah, all right. John says, I'm not the Messiah. I am not the quarterback. I'm not the coach. I'm not the superstar of the team. No one would buy my jersey, he says, even though many of us have camel hair coats. That's the inside joke if you know anything about John. No one even knows my number, he would say. But in some ways, I'm like that lineman. You know, Tom Brady bought his lineman all uh, Infinity SUVs one year just to share with them how much he appreciated what they did. He wanted them to be protected on the road just like they protected him in games. And I also found out he buys, what are those Uggs? He buys those for his entire team. But then somebody, you know, you, you go down these rabbit holes of research. I guess he's like a sponsor or he's sponsored by them, so maybe he gets them all free. But regardless, John becomes like the lineman. He says, it's not about me. It's about getting the message of Jesus down the field. So let's look at John, the first chapter, the evangelist writes about John the Baptist in verse 19, and we'll go through verse 28 today. We're leaving the prologue, those first 18 verses, and basically for the next 12 chapters, we'll, we will read about the testimony of Jesus being God's son, and today especially we see that John is clarifying, John the Baptist and, and John the Evangelist is clarifying who John the Baptist was, giving testimony that he said from the very beginning, he was not the one. So he wants to basically take away any idea of rivalry between these two cousins. So here we are, verse 19. Now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem, Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him then, who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? 
John replied in the words, words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? He said, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. As we get ready to pray, um, we've done a lot of talking, and, and most of you know I'm very transparent uh, with how we structure our worship service. We've now moved the deacon prayer to the end of the service. At one time in our worship here and other worships I've been accustomed to, there's a pastoral prayer. And in a church, even this size, you might have had prayer requests in a pastoral prayer. Those things that are pressing. Those things that you know about. And I think it's important for me to share with you. I know that there are people that are homesick today. But there is somebody in the hospital, probably in surgery right now. David Countryman, who has been on a lung transplant list, who just found out that about six to eight weeks ago. Uh, at 4 o'clock this morning, was called by the hospital to come in for his transplant. He was at Jumpstart on Thursday morning, and we talked about that. And he said, well, you don't know how long it's going to be. It could be three months, six months, could be a year till you have the right, you know, I, uh, blood type and all that stuff to go together. And we were praying that his health would stay strong enough for that transplant, you know, for him not to come off the list. And David, with wisdom and humility, said, I realize someone has to die for me to live. So as we pray for David and Mandy this morning, we also grieve with some family. And as the deacons were in my office earlier, undoubtedly it was a young person. No one would want 60-plus-year-old lungs, I don't think. So there's a family that's hurting today. But we rejoice that that person made a decision that someone else could have life through their sacrifice. So let's pray. Lord, as we look at these scriptures, and as we lay it over what's happening today in our own congregation, where one is, has the, the blessing of a new lung through the sacrifice of another, our minds race to what Christ has done for us. He gave himself up for us. For a sinner such as I, he became that sin offering. He was the ransom for my sins. And through faith in him, we might have life everlasting. So Lord, in this hour, we pray not, not just for David and Mandy and those who bring healing to his body. We pray for that family that grieves because someone is now face to face with you. And we pray that they were a believer. For each one of us here, Lord, we do face a life and death decision, an eternal, an eternal decision that says I'll have life with you or death separated from you in hell. So I pray that as each one of us ponder our relationship with you and who we are. As John was asked, who are you? Who are you? Let us ask that same question to ourselves. Who am I? compared to Jesus, and what am I to do for him? Speak to our hearts in this hour, for I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
So, who are you? We begin with these religious leaders coming out to John. Um, there is commentators, if you, if you dig into these verses, <clears throat> that first line, now there, this was John's testimony, when the Jews of Jerusalem, well, obviously John's a Jew too, but John the evangelist is distinguishing who these Jewish leaders are. It's like the preachers of the day. You know, those who are the religious clergy of Jesus' time have sent out. They've heard that something's going on. They've come to check him out. And if you want to read more about John the Baptist, look at Mark 1 or um, Matthew 3. For they talk about John's attire and his diet. I said that John's jersey was made out of camel hair. And why would they say camel hair? It was the garment of the ancient prophets mentioned in 2 Kings and also Zechariah. Whether he did it intentionally or not, probably, because I don't think anything is in these, these scriptures, these words from the Lord without some intention, but he is that prophetic voice. And he also ate honey. That's um, about as natural, I guess, of a source of protein and sugar, and, I, and I'm not a nutritionist, nutritionist. I know that uh, some of you probably are even love honey or hate honey, but that's how he got his substance from honey. And he asked the question, who are you? Who are you? Well, I have the theme song to uh, CSI. You know, that was the first one, Las Vegas CSI. Could you sing it for me, Aaron? I really wanna oh, how are you? Who, who, who? Ah, it, it's a who song from 1970 something, and I was gonna play that, and I thought it's too a little bit too radical for some of you, and maybe even for, before your time. Uh huh. I was in diapers in '78. Yeah, yeah. Some of you, <clears throat> okay. But the who authored that song that asked the question, "Who are you?" And, and one of the phrases, I think I wrote them all down. Maybe I didn't. I didn't. He wants to know, I really want to know, who are you? And that's what these guys who came out to, to John, we really want to know, who are you? I mean, you're out here baptizing pe people, and as the other gospels will talk about, you, they're coming, confessing that they're sinners, they're looking to repent, and you know, you know that if there's a church down the road here, let's say Bandera had a thousand people showing up each week to get baptized, Probably Dan Brown and Cliff Perry and Pierce Eaton would slip on down there and say, what they got going on there? We want to know. You know, how can we get some of that? Hmm. John's answer to who are you is, I'm unworthy. And that's our first point this morning. They thought maybe he was the Christ. Look at verse 20. He did not fail to confess, but confess freely. And I think it's important that John the Evangelist wants to, to remind us that John the Baptist not only said, I'm not the Christ, he emphasized, I tell you the truth, I am not the Christ. He was not the Messiah, not the anointed one. He says, it's not me, it's not me. So then they said, well, maybe he's Elijah. And although 
John the Baptist, and if you know much about Elijah, they have some similar personas. I mean, they're both kind of rough, kind of rough around the edges, outdoorsmen, if you will. And Jews knew of Malachi, the fourth chapter, uh, verses, I think, it's five and six or so, that talk about the fact that Elijah would be coming before the Messiah. So perhaps he was Elijah. I mean, it's logically uh, makes sense in in their way of believing that if you're not then the Christ, maybe you're the one who is going to anoint the Christ. And he says, no, that's not me. And they say, well, then maybe you're the prophet. And thereupon, theologians love to debate, who was the prophet? What prophet is John the evangelist making mention of? Well, most will agree that, or consider it to be Moses. Because Moses himself says that God will bring up a new prophet. I think he says that in Deuteronomy. But John the Baptist says, no, that's not me. So they ask him again, well, give us something to take back to, you know, like I've said, if, if Cliff and Pierce and Dan had gone to Bandera to find out why this is happening so well up there at that location, what can I take back to my church, to my guys, and say, what's going on up there? Well, we'll come back to his answer, because his answer he gives in um, verse 12, or excuse me, verse 22 and verse 23, I want to come back to. But I do want to look at what the Pharisees say. They show up, verse 21. Now some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And if you know much about the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees, they're the conservative group. Um, they, do, they are the ones who believe in a, a life after this life. Uh, Paul was a Pharisee, but they are the sticklers of the law of the day. And they basically are saying, hey, where's your ordination certificate to do this, John? I mean, have we authorized you to be out here doing baptisms? Because, you know, I can relate when I read that. As a uh, chaplain in the military, endorsed by, when I first came on, the Home Mission Board, and then it became the North American Mission Board, we were told, if you baptize anybody, wherever you are, you need to give them membership in a local church. So my little church that I'd grown up in, Anna, Illinois, has church members in Korea, England, Germany, Japan, and wherever I was stationed. And half of those people probably never, well, I was in more than half, 95% of those have never darkened the door of my home church. Now, that's not a great way to be with one another in a congregation. It goes back to that joke I talked about one time about, you know, the preachers trying to get whatever you set it up, the bats or the squirrels out of their church, and the Baptist said, I just baptized them. I haven't seen them since. Now, we want you to be with us. But still, the Pharisees are saying, what's going on here? How, how, can we, how can we understand what you're doing? John answers them and says, I am unworthy. I baptize with water, but there is one who stands among you that you do not know. He comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie the duty that was left to the lowest of the slaves in a household. That one who got all the bad jobs, that's the one who was called in to untie the shoes of the guest or the master. He says, I'm not the Christ, I'm not Elijah, I'm not Moses or whatever other prophet you might think of. And without Jesus, who is the word, I'm nothing. John says, 
from the grace that I understand who Jesus will bring, I will be worthy. Well, actually, I'll be redeemed. Never finding the high position of, you know, look at me. He's always there trying to lift up Jesus. Look at verse 26. I baptize with water, but someone who's with you that you do not know. Could you imagine people standing in line waiting to be baptized? And one of them could have been Jesus because who is it that baptizes Jesus? John the Baptist, yeah. I mean, so he's making reference. Among you is one who is, you don't even recognize, but he is the one. If we were to look forward in this gospel of, of John, I think it's chapter 13, Jesus ends up washing his disciples' feet. You remember that? We've done one foot washing since I've been here at this church. And people, well, I went, wow, I don't know if I want to do that. You know, that's kind of, hmm, that's pretty personal, you know. You might see my toenails. Hmm. Jesus gets into an argument with Peter in that chapter. He says, Lord, I, I'm not worthy for you to wash my feet. And Jesus says to Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you're not with me. And Peter says, well, then wash my head and my hands and everything. You know, wash me, Lord, because I want to be with you. And when we break that down, and I think that I can remember that night. We were lined up here, and many of us that our spouses were here, we had our spouses. do it. We did our spouses' feet, and then they did our feet. So, you know, the level of intimacy was already there. Ah, you've already seen all my fungus and all that kind of stuff. And I got them two toes that go out like sideways, you know, and got that one that sticks up like that. Not you, I know, you know. But I think what Jesus and Peter were saying, and, and there's a level that you have to let everything go. You, you can't say, I'm above everybody else. Because there are people who come into churches, and they think they're the worthy one. You ever walked into a church, and you felt like you weren't worthy to be there? That's the way we should feel every Sunday. But at the same time, we ought to feel like we're so welcome, because we know there's no one worthy other than Jesus. How many times, as a chaplain or as a pastor, I've said, wait, Come to church next week. Well, if I went in there, that roof would fall in. Have you ever heard that one? You know, that thing will fall in. Dude, it falls in every week with grace over those who come in. It rains down grace because none are worthy. Unworthy is what we all are. We're not the Messiah. We're not the Christ. We're not Moses. We can't move mountains. We can't dispense grace. And we cannot grant forgiveness like God gives forgiveness. What does a quarterback shout when he is getting ready to take the snap? Usually there's a word like hut, right? I'm, I'm trying to go for the most common one. What does hut mean? Hut, hut, hut. Oh. No one knows. You've tried to research that. No one has a definition of hut. I mean, actually, really, some say, well, I may have something to do with the military. You're like, hut one, hut two, we're all marching. No one really knows. And I think it's so important where we began with chapter one, verse one, knowing who God is is 
and who Jesus is. Jesus is the word who was and is, and nothing came to being without coming from him. So be careful when you shout words you really don't know what they mean. Any idea of what it means when you shout, thank you, Jesus? Yeah, I think we all know what that means. It means you understand what he's done for you. John understood the word. He didn't try to do an end around and say, you know, I'm better than Jesus. He says, I am not worthy to take off his football cleats. Wow. And if John says he's unworthy, how can we ever feel like we are superior to him? John's humility and knowledge of himself, knowing that he's not the Messiah, knowing that he's unworthy of the blessings he has received, the only job he can do, he says, is making way for the king. And that's our second thing, from unworthy to chosen to be the voice. And that will come back to that verse that I wanted us to look at. Look at verse 23. John replied to this question, tell us who you are so we can go back and tell those who have sent us. I, he replied in the words of Isaiah, which is Isaiah 40, verse 3, I am the voice of the one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. John becomes, John the Baptist becomes John the road builder. As you know, in Jesus' time, that even though the Romans had done many wonderful developments, some are still in existence today that you can go see in the Holy Land that were built during Jesus, or prior to Jesus' time even. But roads were not like what we have today, obviously. And when the king was coming, the citizens, those who in the city and outside the city, were told to go out and make the roadway better because the king is coming taking the beaten pathway and maybe cleaning up the sides or leveling the ground to make sure the king's journey would be smooth. And that's what John is all about, making sure that there is a way for the Lord. He becomes that voice crying in the desert, make straight the way for the Lord. Fred Craddock, who I have quoted many times, one of my favorite preachers with a squeaky voice, um, said... Have you ever heard John preach? If you haven't, you will. Because the only way to Nazareth is through the desert. And then he corrects himself and says, Well, maybe you can get to Nazareth without going through the desert. But you won't find Jesus. That's what John was doing for us in this text saying, I am that voice, like Isaiah, making a way for the king. We are chosen. Remember, just a few weeks ago, verse 13 of this same chapter. And this way, all of it ties so well together, I think. Verse 13, we are children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. We are children of God by his desire, by his choice. And as children of God, we are to be a choir of voices crying in the desert, make way for the Lord. Just as I handed a football to a little girl to say, go and carry the word of God with you. We are to go crying, make way for the Lord. I am unworthy. I am sinful. I'm full of pride. But when I submit, when I repent and follow Jesus, there's a heavenly harmony that goes on. How many of you grew up in houses where you took your shoes off? 
Or maybe you still live in a house, but you take your shoes off where you come in. Anybody? Yeah. If you've ever been stationed in Japan or, yeah. Or if you got, what happens? You got new carpet or you got new hardwood floors. Everybody take the shoes off. And about five or ten years goes by. Ah, it's okay. It's all right. It's all right. Well, untying sandals and football centers may have more similarities than what I really thought when I started this. Because there's not a lot of glory in untying a sandal. There's not a lot of glory in untying your shoes to walk into a place. But in, like in some people's houses, you don't come in unless you take your shoes off. And until the center moves the ball, there's no forward progress. So perhaps this passage will make you realize how important it is for you to step forward, making a way, crying like John in the wilderness, make a way for the Lord. Because of what God has done for you, you'll be able to sing even louder. You need to be obedient and cry out. I've got a video I want to show you, and, and it's one of those things, you know, I know you can, in seminary they teach you, 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 you can make a text fit what you want it to say, and that's eisegesis. You know, that's, exegesis is truly saying what the text says. And I will say that I started the idea of the center well, this week when we were in my office. You know, we, we t believe it or not, we try to plan for what happens on Sunday. I know most of you don't think so. Uh, didn't plan well enough for that heater in the baptistry. But um, we talked about the most important person, and we said the center. And I thought, how can I make, you know, think of that through with the Super Bowl? Nobody cares about the center. You know, they want to know about who wins and the quarterback and the most valuable player. And, and tell me a most valuable player that's ever uh, been the center. But I'm going to show you a center that was the highest paying center in the NFL. 30 some odd million dollar contract for five years with a guaranteed 20 million. You know, usually you got to do so much more you know, to get the rest of it. And let's just look at what happened to him. This is Jason Brown. A new day peaks over the Carolina fields as the gentle giant stirs. Never stop giving. Never stop loving, never stop growing. Jason Brown is big, football player big, 6'3", 320. And yes, seven years as a pro center with the NFL's Ravens and Rams. When I turned 27 years old, um, that was the same age uh, that my older brother was uh, when he was killed serving our country in Afghanistan. And it really caused me uh, to take an examination uh, of my life. Brown walked away from a $37 million contract and hung up his cleats. I wear a size 16 shoe and he wore a size 14 shoe. And to tell you the truth, um, I still couldn't feel his shoes. Deeply religious and devoted to his family, he too wanted to serve. But instead of the military, Jason Brown bought a farm. How did you learn how to farm? You know, when I tell people that I learned to farm from watching videos on YouTube, I get a lot of laughs and I get a lot of chuckles, right? He calls it First Fruits Farm. Jason grows food to give it away. Where the first harvest is all donated to feed the hungry. We have a list of names and we share because sharing is caring. This year, more than 250,000 pounds of sweet potatoes. <laughs> and lining up in the dirt alongside the volunteers on harvest day, the former football player who used to snap the ball in front of millions from the line of scrimmage. 
This is the most wonderful thing that you could possibly do. I really don't want any type of notoriety other than for people to say, you know what? That's just some, some kid from the country that can play a little bit of football, but look what he's doing with his life right now. If he can do it, I can do it. For this mountain of a man, helping those less fortunate reaps the best bounty of all. Kevin Tibbles, NBC News, Lewisburg, North Carolina. Pretty cool. I watched several videos on him. That was about the most concise one that I could have. Some that went far more into his faith. Uh, he basically said that uh, he and his wife had a gigantic home, all this money, and their lives were so empty. But they both had been you know, raised in church, and they decided, let's walk away from this and, and let God take our lives. And, and if you see, I don't think it showed in that video, one of the pictures of his barn, it has like a stained glass cross in the barn, this gigantic cross. So he's definitely a man of uh, faith who knows Jesus. But he's, if you heard him in there, he, he doesn't want notoriety. John didn't want notoriety. He said, I'm unworthy. All I want to do is lift up and make way for Jesus. And he said, I've been chosen to be the voice. Likewise, none of us are worthy. It doesn't matter whether you went to seminary and how many degrees you've got or how long you've taught Sunday school, or how long you've been a deacon or how many times you've ushered or greeted or how many Sunday school or vacation Bible school or any of those things. It doesn't mean that you're worthy. It probably means you've just been around church a lot more and how many more times you've had the chance to share a voice crying in the desert saying, make way for the Savior, Jesus. Stand with me, please, we pray. Our fathers, we come now to a time in our service of invitation. We've seen the testimony of Caitlin Scoggins this morning that said, I, I believe in Jesus and I want to follow that belief with a believer's baptism. And as we have heard and read the words that John the Evangelist gives about John the Baptist, saying that I'm, I'm not important, but I know who is. Once we understand that relationship of who we are in the world, we are to be his followers, his mouthpiece, his voices, being the hands and the feet, like this center who turned away a very lucrative lifestyle and said, let me help feed, let me help give, let me help serve. We are all called to serve our Savior Jesus. And if there's one who's here today, Lord, I'll be standing in front of this pulpit ready to receive whoever might respond to this hymn of invitation. If they've never asked Christ into their life, if they've never said, I want to be baptized because I want to be united, I want to be on that team who's following and crying out, Jesus is coming, for he's coming again. Speak to our hearts. Maybe there's someone who just wants to come, Lord, and kneel here and pray members of our prayer team will be with them and gladly pray with them. Whatever decision, we ask your Holy Spirit to move, for we pray all this in Jesus' name.